Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Tennis Tours and Tennis Express. Thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate having you as a listener on today's episode of the podcast. Before we get going with today's questions and answers, I just want to remind you all about the BMP Paribas Open happening in Palm Springs at Indian Wells right now in California, an ATP 1000 tour event and some all the top-level players in the world out there playing. I, I watched Federer just last night. I know that Nadal is looking good. I think he won 0-0 in his last round. So lots of good action. Make sure to check it out. If you don't have the Tennis Channel, you can actually watch it for free online at ESPN3.com. That's actually how I've been watching it, and I've just been streaming that from my laptop to my TV at home, which which works great. And secondly, before we get to today's questions, I want to remind you all about the forums at EssentialTennis.com. Haven't talked about those in a while. It's a great place to connect with other passionate tennis players, players just like yourself that are looking to improve and working really hard at their game. In the near future, I'm going to start spending a lot of time on the forums again. Right now, I'm not there a whole lot. I'm going to have more news about that in, in the near future. But anyway, you should really go sign up. It's totally free, and it's a great place to receive encouragement and support and, and help when you need a helping hand in your tennis game. So go check it out. All right, let's get down to business. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right, let's go ahead and start off with our first question today, and it comes to us from Colin in Australia. He's a 4.0 player. He wrote to me and said, I'm 50 years old, right-handed, and have been playing off and on for about 30 years. I have always had issues with my forehand ground stroke. It is much weaker than my one-handed backhand. I cannot get the unconsciously competent level to lift my game. I'm trying to transition from an old 70s style flat forehand to a more modern stroke. I get very confused regarding the position of the wrist, forearm, elbow, shoulder, etc. during the swing. Should I be turning my body or shoulder back on the backswing, then forward before the arm on the forward swing, or does the body stay still in an open position and just shoulder and arm move back and forward? What triggers the forward swing? Should my wrist be straight or laid back? Do I pronate or supinate during my swing? How do I return hard topspin, rising shots coming to my forehand side? I can slice these on my backhand side. I feel like I'm never in the right position. I'm good with low shots around waist high. Most of my errors are hitting straight up over the baseline without topspin going well out. I've been trying to develop curve on my forehand, Works during drills and practice, but not during matches. I drill with the local pro each week, but he is not so technical. What is your advice for older players trying to update their game? I hope you can help. Regards, Colin. 
Okay, there's a lot of stuff in there, Colin, and you you threw a lot of different questions at me, which is totally fine. And I'm going to do my best to to get to everything and make sure that you understand exactly what is essential to being able to hit a solid forehand. You know, a more quote unquote modern forehand, a forehand that has some topspin, that has some curve, like you are talking about in your question, and that's important. And regardless of how old you are or how long you've been playing, it is certainly still possible to develop more of a topspin shot on either your forehand or backhand side. And I want to start off by saying that it doesn't have to be complicated. (laughs) And reading your question here sounds like just a classic case of paralysis by analysis. You have way too many things going on in your head. You've got all of these questions. I, I counted it at one point. I think you have six different questions regarding your forehand technique. And you've got a, a lot of different small technical questions. And don't get me wrong, it, it's important to cognitively understand what should be happening during a forehand swing. Uh, you know, it's it's good to know, to have the information, what part of your body should be doing this and that and in what order, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're actually trying to keep track of all of those things that you asked me, asked me about at the same time, your focus keeps shifting from thing to thing to thing, and you never really become unconsciously competent because you're always, your attention is just all over the place. And so you never really nail down and make a habit any of those little details because you're always shifting your con- your your conscious um, uh, attention on one thing to the next to the next, and to ever really be consciously con- unconsciously competent, Colin, all of those things have to be a habit. And the way that you're going about it is just too complicated. It's too detailed. So I've got a list here of kind of order of operations on a, on a good solid forehand as far as technique is concerned. And it's a list of five things, and it's going to give you instructions on how to hit the entire forehand stroke. And they're they're big chunks. It's not little details, which, again, can be important, but I want you to get your head away from all of these little details and just do the big important parts well. And I think you'll be surprised at how much of a difference it makes when you're not so bogged down with all of these uh, these little technical parts of your swing. So here's a simple no frills instruction on, on how to hit a topspin forehand. Number one, your body starts sideways. <laughs> so, uh, and you were talking about staying open during the swing. No, you definitely, well, your stance can be open. That's fine. Your upper body needs to rotate back and forth and your core, your upper body needs to begin at a 90 degree angle to the baseline. That's number one. Number two, your racket needs to drop below the height of the ball. And you can do that however is comfortable. Some people use a reverse C backswing. Other people just just drop the racket down there below where the ball is. Uh, I don't care which which way is most comfortable for you right now. In general, I prefer a reverse C backswing. That's how most higher-level players hit the ball. And I, I think for good reason, uh, but you don't have to do it that way. Just just understand that at some point, if you want to hit topspin and you want to have that curve in your forehand, the racket's got to drop below where the ball is. Might seem obvious, but I'm going to throw that in there. So body starts sideways, racket drops below the ball, 
Number three, your body rotates forwards and then your arm and your racket follow. And this was something that you mentioned in your question. Um, your core should unwind first before you swing with your arm and with your racket. And this is called the kinetic chain. And I uh, recommend that you do a search for that over in the podcast archives for a kinetic chain. And that'll give you more of the details you're looking for as far as how to use your body correctly and in what order, etc. But your core, your upper body should rotate forward towards your target before your arm and your forearm, your hand, your shoulder, all, before all those things start to really accelerate the racket through the point of contact. So that's number three. Number four, contact should be made with a flat racket face and with the racket at waist height. We don't want the racket facing upwards. We don't want it facing downwards. It should be square to the ball. And then number four, uh, five, your finishing position should be with the racket finishing over your left shoulder and really up off your shoulder is best. Kind of the higher, well, not necessarily the higher, the better, but there should be a good four or six inches between your shoulder, your left shoulder and the racket when you finish. Your butt cap, the bottom of the racket should be pointing towards your target and your racket should be on edge, meaning perpendicular to the court. Your racket face should be perpendicular to the court surface, 90 degrees to the court. And uh, when, you, when you're in that finishing position with your, your racket, your chest should also be facing forward towards your target, meaning that you made a 90-degree turn with your upper body. So there you go. And by the way, I, I recommend that you start off there, Colin, just get to that finishing position, racket over your left shoulder, butt cap pointing towards your target, racket on edge, chest facing forwards. If you line all four of those things up the way that I'm describing, and then uh, make sure that you finish in that position over and over and over again, I can almost guarantee you that that's going to help improve your forehand right there. Make a smooth swing consistently up to that finishing position, and it's probably going to fix a lot of the the problems that you've been having. So again, just quick review the five things. Body starts sideways, meaning upper body. You can use whatever stance you want, but upper body sideways. Racket drops below the ball. Body rotates forwards. Your arm, shoulder, and racket then follow. Contact is made with a flat racket face. And then the racket finishes over your left shoulder, butt cap pointing towards your target, your racket on edge, and your chest facing forwards. So there you go. As far as other details, your hand, your wrist, just keep them relaxed during the swing. That's it. You don't want to really try to manipulate those and whip them or hinge them back and forth uh, as you try to make your swing. Just keep them relaxed. And if you follow the directionals that, that I just laid out, you will have pronated. You were asking about pronating as well. No, you don't want to supinate during a forehand swing. You want to pronate. Um, and if you finish in the position that I described, you will have pronated your forearm. So you don't have to worry about that. So that's it. Those are kind of the big chunks, the big fundamental essential parts of hitting a topspin forehand. You know, there's just certainly more details we could talk about than that. But if you just follow those simple instructions, then you should definitely see some curve on the ball. And, you know, using those simple instructions, you should be able to hit a comfortable shot without being bogged down with a whole bunch of details. Um, I, I recommend, by the way, Colin, that you practice this without hitting a ball at first. Uh, look at the those five things, you know, type them out or wait until the uh, transcript is out and then just take a look at the list 
and um, just practicing your home without hitting a ball first so that you're making sure that you get all of those major parts in there. Two more quick things. If you can curve the ball in practice but not in match play, as you described, then you're close, you're on the right track, but you keep reverting back to your old habits when you're under pressure. That that old swing that you've been using for, I think you said 30 years on and off that you've been playing tennis, don't be surprised if that keeps sneaking in, and especially when it really counts and it's in a match and there's a little bit of pressure there. That's when you're going to revert back to your old muscle memory habits. So that's extremely common. Please don't be frustrated by that. It takes a lot of practice and a lot of repetition doing it the right way, the new way, before you reverse that muscle muscle memory and you have a new stroke that's happening without even thinking about it. And then lastly, if your errors are mostly long, especially if they're way long, like what you were describing in your question, it means that at contact, your racket face is open. It's your racket is tilted back, it's, your strings are facing up towards the sky or up towards the ceiling. And when you make a, a long, high follow-through with your racket, like what I'm describing, and your face is open, it's not square to the ball at contact, instead of curving the ball, you're just going to launch it up into the air and it's going to go way too far. And usually that's, that's caused by tensing up and not allowing your hand and your racket to turn over fluidly and, and correctly. And so the face pops open and the ball goes way too far. Just just be aware that's usually what causes that. Don't shorten your follow-through up and get more tentative, tentative. Tentative. Simply relax and keep your racket face square to the ball as you make contact. And that'll keep the ball from going too far. All right, so Colin, there you go. Hopefully that clears up a bunch of your questions and gets you on the right track. Thank you very much for being a listener in Australia. And I hope this has been helpful to you. If you have any further questions, feel free to write and let me know. Best of luck. All right, before we get to the second question in today's show, real quickly, I want to remind you all about the two sponsors that I have on the podcast currently. Number one is TennisTours.com. You can go there to purchase travel and ticket packages to WTA and ATP professional tennis events. When you check out, use the promotional code ESSENTIAL. You'll get a discount off of your purchase. And I thank them very much for their support of the show. Second sponsor is Tennis Express, where you can go to buy all of your racket, string, clothing, shoes, and bag, all tennis gear and equipment needs you can get fulfilled there. Really great shipping and service, and please go check them out by going to EssentialTennis.com slash Express. When you go to that link, you'll get automatically routed over to Tennis Express, and if you purchase anything, the Essential Tennis Podcast will get a small percentage of your purchase back to the show to help support uh, the show. So thank you to Tennis Tours and Tennis Express for your support. I really appreciate it. All right, moving on, we've got now a question from David in Atlanta who's a 3.5 player. He wrote to me and said, my question is simple. How hard should you swing the racket for most shots? I am an intermediate player. I notice I play better when I swing hard and worse when I am tentative with my swing. And lessons I have been told to accelerate, I even noticed how well this works for serves. I now try to hit as hard as I can up and out on my serve. The pros, take Rafa for example, all swing hard. Yes, they do. Should we be doing the same to improve? 
Okay, David, good question. The uh, really short answer is it depends. But in general, no, you shouldn't be doing the same as the pros when it comes to this. And I'm going to get more detailed than that, but uh, no, the pros play a level of tennis that is so far beyond what most people think and can even comprehend. I know that on TV and on YouTube, when you're looking at video, you know, we all know what they're doing and we understand it. And it looks like we, you know, we can comprehend what's going on on the, on the screen, you really don't have any idea unless you've been personally close to it. First of all, if you've sat courtside and really watched and heard and felt the ball getting hit by a by a player like Rafa, uh, or if you've hit with somebody who's been on the tour before, uh, unless you've done one of those two things, it's really difficult to understand how much they accelerate at the ball. It's really incredible. So, so no, you don't want to be doing the same as the pros and, ex- and trying to accelerate that much every time. That's not a good idea. On the other hand, you also don't want to hit tentatively at any level. I don't care if you're just starting out and you're a 2-5 level. You should not be decelerating using short technique and hitting the ball tentatively, scared and worried about it going too far, worried about hitting the ball out. That's not how you're going to improve. Now, there are many, many different speeds of swing between the pros and being tentative. Millions of different levels of, of swing speed between those two extremes. And so where you should be is somewhere in between. And I'm going to go through and try to be a little bit more specific about that to give you a good idea, David, and everybody else listening. And I'm going to group players up into three kind of big chunks. And I want to be really clear that what I'm going to describe and um, and talk about here is going to be a generality. Everybody is a little bit different when it comes to this. But I'm going to give you my two cents on how much I think you should be accelerating based on your level. And I'm going to be going based on NTRP, which is what we use here in the U.S. to rate players. And David wrote in and said he was at 3.5. If you don't know how that scale works, it starts from 1.0 and goes up to 7.0. Between 6.0 and 7.0, meaning that you're a professional player. And uh, if you want to get a full rundown of what all the different levels are, I have linked to a chart in the show notes for today's show, which is episode number 161. So if you're not sure and you want to go see what these levels are that I'm talking about during my explanation, go to EssentialTennis.com, click on podcast, and then find episode number 161. And I have a link there going right to a chart that will show you kind of a general description of each level of tennis. Okay, now I'm going to group these into three different levels. 2.5 to 3.0, 3.5 to 4.0, and 4.5 to 5.0. And how much you should be accelerating, David, depends on where you are. And again, these are generalities, and this is my opinion, but, you know, all of these shows are my opinion. (laughs) And uh, I I think that based on my experience, I I have a very strong feeling that what I'm about to to tell you guys here is definitely correct. And we'll talk about a 2.5 to 3.0 player first. This level of player should be slow, steady, and controlled. 
I mean, really the, the most you want to be accelerating around this level is probably around 60% or so. And when I say 60%, I mean that 100% would be as fast as you can possibly swing the racket. So we're, we're kind of just over on the other side of half speed. So if you're not sure what your 60% is, go out to a tennis court with a bunch of balls, stand on the baseline, drop yourself a forehand, and just hit it as hard as you can. Doesn't matter where it goes. I mean, you, you can try to make it, but uh, just hit it as hard and as fast as you can. That's 100%. Then cut that in half. Then add a little bit to that. And that's the way that you should be, the acceleration you should be using most of the time. And the reason for that is if you're a 2.5 to 3.0 player, you still have big changes that you have to make to your technique to get to the next level. Your technique is not refined and most of it needs work. So you you need to swing at a speed that will allow you to be aware of what you're doing with the racket and that will allow you to be in control of what's happening with your technique. Otherwise, you'll never learn good habits. If you just go for every shot, if you're a 3-0 player and you're just hitting aggressively over and over and over again, it's going to be very difficult to be aware enough of what you're doing with the racket to actually create new habits, better habits, and, and improve your technique. If you're at a 2.5 or 3.0 level, there's a reason for that. And I don't recommend you swing past 60% acceleration most of the time because you need to learn control and you need to learn better technique. Next up, we've got 3.5 to 4.0. And this is where David falls into play, kind of an intermediate to upper intermediate level. And this level of player can start to accelerate a little bit more. And I wrote down, and again, these general guidelines here, very general guidelines. I wrote down in my notes, 80% max. So you can start to accelerate a little more aggressively when it's appropriate in the point situation, but not more than about 80%. And again, 100% meaning that that's as hard as you can hit the ball. You definitely still don't want to be accelerating that much because you'll probably lose control of the technique that you're learning and at a 3.5 or 4.0 level, you certainly still have some technique things to work through and improvements to make to make it to the next level. So you don't want to be out of control and crazy and trying to hit everything hard. You're probably going to make a lot of errors anyway. Plus, as I was describing before, it's going to be very difficult to be aware of what's actually happening and improve those di different parts of your game that you need to. Um, and I also wrote down that this depends on the competence of each stroke. Once you get up to a 4-0 level, it's very possible that, let's say your forehand ground stroke is pretty solid and your technique for the most part is pretty good. Maybe you can start to accelerate on that stroke a little bit more than on, say, your backhand where you don't feel as, um, you don't feel like your technique is quite as good and you make a lot more mistakes when you try to accelerate on that side. So you want to be a little bit more conservative. But still, and, and by the way, this goes for all of these levels, regardless of your competence level. As far as technique is concerned, you don't want to decelerate no matter what. That's just not the way you're going to improve. I mentioned that before, but just want to say that. You really don't want to drop below 60% acceleration, regardless of your level, because that, that leads to poor technique. It leads to scared, tentative hitting, and you're going to get stuck at a low level of tennis if you continue to hit like that over and over again. So um, again, 3.5 to 4.0, your average speed should definitely be easily controlled. Hitting every ball ag aggressively at this level definitely isn't realistic. 
because again, your technique still isn't there 100%. It's definitely gotten a lot better, but you still have a little ways to go before you can start to really take a full cut at every ball. And at this level, the majority of points are still lost due to errors. And so that's really the main reason why we're not consistently making a full speed swing yet. You got to realize that even at a 4-0 level, most points are just being lost due to unforced errors. So you don't want to be that sucker who's trying to hit you know, a winner on every other shot and just making a lot of mistakes because that means you're probably going to lose the majority of your matches. Be smart. And then lastly, 4-5 to 5-0 level. And at this level, consistent acceleration is needed. It's not only something that you want to do. You really have to do it to be competitive. And at this point, you're taking 90% plus cuts at the ball when it's appropriate. That doesn't mean every single swing, but when the point situation is appropriate, you're in balance, it's an easy shot. Yeah, you're starting to really take a full cut at the ball. And at this level, especially once you get up to 5-0 and above, Large chunks of points are now won instead of lost. And it's not that a 3-5 or a 4-0 player can't ever hit a good shot and won't ever hit a winner. You will, but it's it's a matter of percentages. At a 4-5 and 5-0 level, a lot more points are won through forcing errors and hitting winners than at lower levels. And so that means that it's more important to start to really accelerate to keep your opponent from really teeing off and pressuring you over and over and over again. Um, last week, I, I played three sets against a former ATP player. You know, he didn't make top 10 or anything like that. I, I think the, the highest he was ever ranked was in the top 400, like around 350 or something like that. Uh, d- definitely a better player than me. And, you know, I played higher level division two college tennis, didn't play any challenger or future events or anything like that after college. I, I just went right into teaching. So th- this player is definitely stronger than me. And you know, I just bring this up because I know that without, even though I'm out of shape right now, even though my timing's not the best, I had no choice but to consistently make a high speed accelerated swing over and over again, because otherwise you know, the points would have all just been won by him. He's good enough that if I hit a 60% swing forehand from the baseline, well, I'm going to lose that point most of the time because the next shot coming back is going to be hugely pressuring to me. And I'm going to be behind in the point, just playing defense immediately. As soon as I fall below, I mean, for me, probably 80%. Uh, So basically, David, the higher in level you get, the more acceleration you want to use. And that's so that you avoid errors and so that you put the ball in play more often and so that you're able to control your swing, be aware of your technique, and continue proving your strokes. So to answer your question, you know, that was the long answer. (laughs) No, you don't want to swing hard every time. On the other hand, you don't want to swing tentatively every time. Hopefully my my breakdown here of the different levels and the different percentages of effort and percentages of acceleration have helped you kind of get a picture of kind of the the varying degree of acceleration you should be using based on your level. And yeah, hopefully that makes sense. (laughs) So David, thank you very much for your question. Hopefully that that, uh, explanation was helpful to you. And as always, if you have any further questions, feel free to let me know. Best of luck 
continuing to improve your game. All right, that brings episode number 161 of the Essential Tennis Podcast to a close. And in wrapping up, I'd like to read two quick comments that were taken from the many comments that were left for episode number 160. And by the way, if you have any thoughts or follow-up questions, etc., just general comments about this episode, you can leave them for me by going to EssentialTennis.com slash podcast, click on episode number 161, and right there you can leave whatever comments or questions you may have. And here's two from last week's show. First of all, from Fred. And by the way, we were talking about passing shots, how to hit passing shots. Fred said, for me, the trick to learning how to hit on the run or the big reach is related, is related to learning how to relax your death grip on the racket when hitting the ball. At a full run and reach, there's no way to power the racket through the ball with a rigidly gripped racket that many intermediate players use. You've got to learn how to relax and let the racket do more work. This is what the pros are doing on their running passing shots. It's not all that hard or impossible to learn. If this 60-year-old geezer can figure it out, so can others. Well, Fred, uh, and, and by the way, Fred posted a pretty long uh, response. This was just one of the paragraphs. But I thought it was a really good point that being relaxed is so important. And it's difficult to do when you're on the run or being stretched out or you're having to reach for the ball. But And the other point that uh, Fred made that I like is that regardless of how old you are, yes, an old dog can learn new tricks. I, I'm so tired of hearing that that phrase. And I get told that phrase by students and members where I teach and it's just not true. You can absolutely learn it. it. Sure, it might take you a little bit more time to learn it than a 15-year-old kid, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. It just takes a little bit more work sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't even take more work. It just takes a little bit of concentration and repetition, and you can do it. So for both those reasons, I thought uh, that was a really good comment, Fred. Thanks for taking the time to respond to last week's show. And then secondly, from Joe, your explanation on choosing where to hit passing shots was interesting, but I'd add that if you choose, for example, to aim cross-court for all passing shots, at some point your opponent will learn to simply move to cover the cross-court reply. So just like with so much in tennis, the best choice, if you have time, is to do different things. If you're forced, then go for the percentage shot. Yeah, I totally agree, Joe. And I'm pretty sure I didn't say in that episode that you should always aim here or always aim there. Rather, I gave, I think it was five different choices that you could make and the pros and cons of each. And if it sounded like I was really pro one choice and, you know, con all the rest of them, that wasn't by design. Um, it's certainly that they, they all have their place based on different opponents in different situations and as Joe is pointing out, if you always go to one spot, well, unless you're playing just a total dummy who's not paying attention, they're going to make an adjustment and, and cover that spot. So definitely do mix up your shot selection when you when you hit passing shots. But if you find something that works consistently, you definitely want to go to that most. And I also agree with what Joe said that under just a really, really high pressure situation, you should probably be going to the highest percentage target most often. So, Joe and Fred, 
Thank you very much, uh, both of you, for leaving your comments on last week's show. Again, if you have comments for this week's show, go to EssentialTennis.com slash podcast. Leave a comment, and I might read it on next week's show. Until then, take care, everybody, and good luck with your tennis. Tennis.